Hello there, friends. This is Spencer Michelle. And today we're talking about the full moon in the third decan of Cancer. Um, I'm joined here today by my good friend, Sam Bellier. How are you doing today, Sam? Doing really great. Um, so we're going to be breaking down the full moon that's happening on January the 17th. Um, we're going to touch briefly on the uh, last quarter moon on the 25th of January. Um, we've got all sorts of different divination. Uh, we've got all sorts of divination like uh, uh, forms that we're going to be bringing to you with the I Ching, with tarot, and uh, with some stuff that Sam is, is an expert in as well. And we'll, um, we're going to be examining that also. So let us know where you're coming from uh, in the chat box here, where you're joining us from. We've got some people joining us from all around the world, which is very exciting just going to shout out a few of them real quick. We've got Cookerzilla coming from Nova Scotia. Uh, welcome, Cookerzilla. Andrea Azanic is here from Croatia. Welcome, my friend, Andrea. Jody is here from South Florida. I think that's where you're joining us from, right, Sam? So we've got an, another fellow Floridian. Um, Tarja is here from Finland. And uh, yeah, so always love hearing where you're joining us from and where, um, you know, you're listening in through the uh through the different parts of the world sorry i'm tripping over my words a little bit today we could feel that mercury stationing already <laughs> like so sam my friend help me out here save me tell me a little bit more about yourself sure. and uh what your your expertise is so um i got introduced to astrology uh, when I was 16 and apprenticed at a metaphysical shop, which was probably the coolest first job ever. And they stuck various books in my hands and astrology was the one thing where I opened up the pages and the words kind of sunk into my skin. Mm -hmm. And I've never really been able to shake it. I've always done readings for friends and family. And um, as I sought to create professional community around um, astrology for myself, it's just been this lovely experience where I discover that my language is, is kind of rooted in the stars and it's how I choose to communicate spiritually um, as well as just kind of personally with the planets and, and working through that form of, of divine connection. So um, I also have a background in body work. Um, I've started in physical therapy and moved into massage therapy. And so um, I'm a uh, well-traveled and taught and published author in the reflexology space and a lot of my astrology also blends in the medical side uh, because the body i think is our first temple and so kind of being rooted in something physical and also reaching up to the stars and having that kind of as above so below uh feel to it is definitely part of my um the way the unique way that i look at astrology not just as a metaphysical art but also as a physical one Absolutely. I love the balance there. Actually, I, the two cards that I pulled today, I usually pull a tarot card for the day. Um, one personal and one for the overarching theme. I got temperance for both of them today, which is, sure. which is sort of like, you know, balancing out body, spirit, all of these things and having the proper, you know, the right mixture of things. So um, I love that. I love hearing that. Um, okay. So we are looking at your website, where can we find you? And what kind of things may you have coming in the hopper here? Sure. So um, uh, my website is just my first and last name. So sambellier.com. Uh, you can also find me on Facebook is 
primary uh, platform uh, and then Instagram as well, uh, Sam Bellier 333 and then Twitter just um, it's Scorpio Rising SB is the handle, but if you just Google my name and it, it, or search the name, it should come right up. Um, and uh, most of my practice is revolving around the daily horoscopes. So I write um, a kind of transit picture for the day. And then I also write bullet point one or two sentence horoscopes for each sign uh, for the for the non-astrological um, people to kind of keep in, in touch with the planets. And uh, as far as stuff that's coming up, um, I don't really have a lot of astrology classes coming up because my reflexology work is taking me over to the UK for a third time um, at the end of February and March. It's my first international travel since, since lockdown. So that'll be super fun. And uh, my second reflexology book uh, just dropped in December, but I am working on my first ever uh, astrology book as well, um, the Astrologer's Manual. So that should be uh, that should be my next project, uh, which will probably be about a year or two out. Nice. Yeah, you are uber productive, Sam. I, I, I've been following along with your daily horoscopes, which are which are amazing, by the way. I love that you're bringing in, you know, the kind of the body temple with those as well. Um, but man, you, you're just churning, churning stuff out. It's, it's really great to see. I love seeing someone who is committed to the art like that, you know, and is able to, to constantly show up for the, for the work. So good job, my friend. It's, I'm, I'm a fan. Well, and echoed right back at you, like uh, your level of productivity is also something that I strive to aspire to one day. Um, you know, I love how we as astrologers, you know, when we get into it, it, it's no longer about work. It's also about kind of this becomes our, our practice. And that for me is exactly how the horoscope started was I did this every morning anyway. So why not kind of share it with the world? And it's the same thing. You know, you carve out these, these 90 minute moments to sit and reflect and throw cards and look at the charts and, and divine what's going to happen over the next month. Any, any spiritual practitioner or practitioner is familiar with, you know, that ritual, um, so it's just nice that we now get to share it with a, a bigger audience. Excellent. Excellent. All right. So I'm looking at the chat here. We've got a few more people joining us that I'll shout out here. We've got Dimphy's joining us from the Netherlands. Hello, Dimphy. Susanna is here from Finland. We've got a crew that joins us from Finland every week, which is very nice. cool. Uh, Place of Stillness is here from Sweden. So our, our Nordic friends are all are coming today. And Fionn is here from Ireland. Hello, my friend. Okay. So more business stuff to get out of the way. Uh, I do have my Deccans of Capricorn webinar that is coming up this Saturday, January the 15th at 1 p.m. There is a link if you'd like to sign up for that or for the winter bundle where you can sign up for Capricorn, Aquarius, and Pisces and then get a discount. So I'm really excited about that. I've been going deep into Capricorn archetypes like the mythology, uh, some of the you know more esoteric meanings with the tarot cards and things of that nature. So hopefully you'll join me for that. Um, also, one other thing I wanted to alert all of you out there is that uh, I've agreed to become part of Stormy Grace's YouTube Astrology Academy, which is a basically a free service to start learning astrology. So there's uh, all sorts of different teachers that are going to be joining Stormy on her channel, Stormy Grace Astrology. And we'll be teaching, you know, various webinars here and there. I think I might be doing something on the moon. It's not confirmed yet, but we'll see what, what happens because we do these new and full moons. So, um, But there's a link in, in the description of this video if you'd like to support the Kickstarter that will help fund bringing in all these astrologers to, to make this content free for people on the internet. So you can find that in the description below.
All right. I think that's the business stuff that we have uh, getting out of the way here. Thank you all for your support out there in digital land. And please visit Sam and support the work that he does as well. All right, Sam, should we dive into it? Love it. So I'm going to share my screen. And we have the, can you see that there, Sam? Yes, I can. Okay. So we are looking at January the 17th, 2022 at about 6.48 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We've got the sun at 27 degrees of Capricorn in the third decan and the moon at 27 degrees of Cancer, exactly opposite one another. Um, Pluto co-present. Uh, we've got Saturn hosting the sun and the moon in its own domicile. Any big picture thoughts you have right away, Sam? You know, when we were talking about this a little bit, as I as I pulled the chart and as I just kind of stared at it and sat with it and just kind of let it wash over me, it's I I adore a moon in Cancer and especially a full moon in Cancer and especially this being our first full moon in Cancer without an angry Saturn. Right. You know, it's definitely um, it's definitely going to be a lighter moon, a, a moon that is a little bit more kind of cradling. That maternal instinct will be able to to fly forward a little bit, but what kept pulling my awareness was that the sun is co-present after that conjunction with Pluto, god of the underworld, lord of the subconscious, everything that has been buried and uh, swept under the rug, and the sun backlighting those things. So this is not a passive moon in any way, shape, or form. This is not a fluffy bunny moon. This is uh, this is one of those moons that will likely, through the waves of cancer, kind of wash up ashore a lot of dead bodies, um, you know, with the, the underworld theme still being so fresh. But also, on either side of that Sun and Pluto conjunction is retrograde Mercury and retrograde Venus. Yeah. Um, Venus just about to come out of her retrograde period. Mercury just about to start his. And so together they create this sense of not entrapment, but this warning label of what you think is correct now is not actually for the highest good. And we mm. need to take a step back. We need to rewind. And sometimes taking those two steps back is actually moving forward just under a different label. Which is perfect for the cancer archetype, right? With the way that the crab yeah, the will move. Movement. Yeah, mm -hmm. that they move on the beach, going a little forward, a little back, testing the waters, you know, always being hyper aware of danger on some mm -hmm. level as well. I wanted to, you know, hearing you speak, I wanted to step back for a second and just look at this new moon that we're, that is coming to fruition, just mm -hmm. to review real quick, because I think it's, you know, you're, you're touching on a lot of the themes that we saw here. Um, so with this new moon, we had, you know, the second decan of Capricorn mm -hmm. with the, uh, the three of pentacles card, which was sort of about the blueprint. And we had Venus kind of moving backwards saying, what do we value as far as uh, the structures of our life, the Saturnian structures, how do we administrate these different things? And one of the things I talked about with Andrea, who is here with us today is um, there's a danger of becoming overly ambitious with this particular decan. It's a, you know, it's a Mars decan with an exalted Mars and Capricorn type of vibe to it. Um, and I think that we're, we're seeing that come to fruition here with this full moon. And we'll go back for a second. I just wanted to kind of look at it because mm -hmm. that gives me a little context here. 
because what we're seeing here is like, okay, I think that the, the thing that was coming up in my mind the most was what is enough? That word kept cycling over and over again through the different things I was reading. And, you know, if we look at this four of pentacles card that represents cancer three, the third decan of cancer between 20 and 30 degrees, we have the figure who's refusing the, the fourth cup of, you know, spirit of divine of abundance potentially. Um, and you and I were talking about like feeling like, okay, we've, we've made some progress. Maybe we've uh, gotten some goodies, but it may not be bringing us the satisfaction that we were hoping for. Uh, and then we're kind of like, oh, you know, we're like the Buddha sitting under the, the Bodhi tree, you know, who, who experienced, you know, abundance and, and wealth and, you know, almost like protected, was a, a protected youth. And then eventually they were like, oh, well, this isn't bringing me happiness. Like, <laughs> what do we do now? And I get that vibe with this too, this, this um, full moon. Um, yeah. The, the other thing I was thinking about, and, and yeah, do you, do you have th things to add to that before I move on? I think that analogy and and bringing up the Buddha story is is so relevant here because it is that it is that that opposing opposites right the the mother of cancer and the father of Capricorn always at odds with each other the the kind of stereotypical maternal paternal archetype um, and in that in that idea of the Buddha and you know what is too much what is too little his path of aestheticism and and the the string that is too tight snaps the string that is too loose cannot play a sound mm. you know and finding that balance right i think what maybe that three of of pentacles showed us was that we were being a little bit too ambitious and now we're starting to see the results of that over ambition right. um mm. and like we were talking about before that mercury just about to square uranus just about to get itself into trouble just about to overextend itself just about to icarus itself a little bit too close to the sun um and i love, then I love that that's an adjective i love that as an adjective Icarusing yeah. yourself that's perfect i mean it's it's yeah. kind of like mercury mercury got into aquarius and is like yeet we're we're going like right, it's right. it's out of capricorn out of the the now with the support of Saturn underneath it, which is even more tempting because it has the backbone mm -hmm. of its Lord, you know, but Mercury's like, something's not right. I feel, I feel like there are, there are strands of fate that are still tethered to me. There's something else underneath the surface that we're not yet seeing, which I think that sun Pluto conjunction will actually bring to light sure. and start to show us like, Hey, there, there were, there were missteps, you know, we didn't perform correctly the first time. So now it's time to kind of give into that yin Venus, restoring her power and going direct and moving through and kind of healing and sweeping and restoring and filling in the gaps yeah. while Mercury starts to do that reflective contemplative work. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I think that what I'm seeing with the sun moving through Capricorn three now, you know, I always think of like the sun as our collective spotlight, right? It's saying what, as a, as a community, what kind of themes are we going to be conscious of and have to deal with? Right. And you know, I've been over the last few weeks, I have a, a, a daughter in high school and there's been all this back and forth about going back to school in person versus staying at home. Um, my partner has been having these conversations with the, the bureaucracy that she is a part of at her work about 
uh, whether it's safe to go into the, the workplace or staying home. And what I've noticed, you know, as, you know, both Venus and the sun have made contact with Pluto or are about to, mm -hmm. is that the, the system, it's harder for the system to make, to pivot as quickly as the, the needs of the people may require. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's the the analogy that I'll often give for, for Pluto and Capricorn throughout this whole period that it's been in this space is, is this just gigantic mangrove tree yeah. um, with its roots so deep that it's actually innervating the graves, you know, below. And you can't pull up those roots easily. They are established. They are ingrained. They are you know, years of little actions compiled into one. And so to think that you can topple, you know, these, these authority structures, even if they are ruled by Saturn, you know, there is that idea of making sure that you, you don't waste your breath trying to blow down a brick wall. Oh man, that's perfect. Yeah. It's just been playing out, I think in, in our reality here in our, our family, you know, just as seeing, people uh here's here's another like tangible example because i like to share these tangible examples yeah there there was a pandemic response team at the the, the work that my partner was at mm -hmm. and instead of having an emergency meeting they were like well we can't have a meeting for another week and we can't move it up so we're gonna stick to the the established policy that we've had throughout this whole pandemic which you know, because of things like the how contagious the new variant Omicron is needed right. to be dealt with immediately, right? And it, it that to me was such a poignant example of like, okay, like the the powers that be, the you know the 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 machinations of industry or or whatever are grinding like this, and they're like, oh, we don't want to deal with this, <laughs> like you know, and, and I think one of the the themes of this four of pentacles is we're we're seeing like um you know someone who i think you could compare this figure to king midas on some level mm -hmm. you know where everything that, that they touch is turning to gold and is that is that good or not like the um i've been really doing a lot of study in the kabbalistic tree of life recently sure. and these two fours correspond with the sephirat or like the the energy center uh hesed and Hesed is that that loving kindness, the flow of love between one another, or the flow of divine energy. And in in one, we have someone who's like maybe even blocking this or trying to hold on too tightly. And the other, we've got someone just refusing it altogether. So <laughs> there's this, you know, this what is inside the walls versus what are we keeping uh, away from ourselves. So um, I think just the point being with that is that sometimes the, you know, we have a plan that we we want to move forward and have progress with but as this moon is saying is fle flexibility is important like the like the cancerian um symbol the crab it it isn't always linear and you you were pointing that out earlier is that you know sometimes in life we can't just always you know keep grinding you know up the mountain like there's a time for that but we also have to be flexible and, and this is something we've talked about a lot in our families the flexibility of the I guess you'd call it, I don't know if I want to call it the air age, but, but since Jupiter and Saturn have made those conjunctions in air signs now, which only happens a few, every few hundred years, it changes elements. It's definitely different than that earth, you know, kind of centric 
experience we had before that where you could you know make a plan and reasonably you know right. go forward with it right i love that analogy of hasad because when um having having done a lot of the the kabbalistic work um in my in last year um that was that was a big kind of spiritual framework for me as i i took yeah. those lessons um hasad is is the open sky and the open ocean like you're sitting there in between the two floating and anything you speak becomes you know it's so overwhelming because of that hyper connection to the divine um but it magnifies everything that you don't like about yourself at mm -hmm. the same time and that contrast can be really scary you know as we start to focus on the ease that is the potential of Jupiter and Pisces as a great example, you know, um, and we are met with these parts of ourselves that are still not in working order. You know, there's, there's just that deeper reflection, that deeper understanding of crap. We, we wanted so bad for things to be smooth going forward, but there's still, there's still work to do. Yeah, that's, yeah, it's, I think that everyone is having an endurance test right now, you know, like, um, it's not a, it's not necessarily a sprinter's energy, it's a, it's marathon energy. And I think that one thing we should acknowledge, um, you know, I, I, I try to be as, as balanced on this show as I, as I can, as far as like, you know, trying to see multiple perspectives and take everyone's, um, you know, uh, thoughts and feelings into account. I think that one thing I wanted to say to, to the audience today is that, man, you, you've been through a lot and we've all been through a lot. And I think that uh, it's understandable that a lot of people out there are fatiguing, you know, and are starting to be like, oh, when is this going to be done? And, and are feeling that kind of desire to, to escape the reality of Saturn here with the, with the Jupiter principle where we, we want it to be a certain way, right? Um, because it's been really hard. And I think that um, one thing that I try not to do is that concept of spiritual bypassing, where we can say, oh, well, if you only believe hard enough or have enough faith, all the bad things in your life are going to go away, because that's not acknowledging people's lived experience, right? And I think sometimes when we acknowledge people's lived experience, that can be some of the most healing things of all right mm -hmm. so i guess that's what i wanted to say just in in the middle here is that uh i think a lot of people have been doing the best that they can under really difficult circumstances and i hope that we'll all get through this together i think that that's the i think that's the the real takeaway is hang in there a little bit longer right i think that's what sam and I are both saying on this on some level right we've got to um realize that this isn't a linear path and that flexibility is really important around this period of time too since we have this very saturnian stack up here which mm -hmm. can get crystallized we have to be flexible like like i don't know do you, do you share some of your chart placements sam yeah okay so we're both cancer sons right so we've lived this kind of like all right well maybe life isn't <laughs> this linear path right and you've got you've got the beautiful man your chart is one of the most dignified charts i've i think i've ever seen you know for sure Yes. So I, I'm really, uh, and, and, and you carry it really well, man. I'm really, really appreciating your insights here today. You, you're a very talented astrologer. So thank you so much for, for being my guest here today. Um, 
but you're, you seem to be tapping into the, the best parts of Jupiter with that exalted Jupiter that you have in your chart in cancer and realizing that to, you know, sometimes we have to, 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 to nurture, you know, we, we have to be flexible. We, we have to not necessarily get attached to one particular path, which I think can be the, some of the downfall of a Capricorn energy is getting mm-hmm. so fixated on one sometimes material path that we, we end up um, losing our integrity along the way, right? Yeah. I want to tell a story real quick, and then I'm going to toss this back to you. One of the stories of Capricorn is the story of Precus. Are you familiar with the Precus myth? Yes. Right? It's perfect for this. So Precus was a, 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 the king of the sea goats who were half goat and half fish. And one of the things in my, little, uh, in my research that I've been doing, I'm thinking a lot about the Capricorn symbol as, as the goats of Precus climbing out of the sea and changing into landform. It's mm-hmm. not that they're just these half fish, half goat. It's, it's the process of climbing out of the ocean of maybe divinity and onto into material form. And that mm-hmm. to me was a big light bulb moment um, because in this Precus story, you know, he, his children are goats in the sea or sea goats or whatever they are. And they, they keep, trying to ascend they want to ascend they want to climb and they keep leaving and once they leave the sea they lose their ability to speak and they lose their ability to think and they become just more of their base animal self which we can see reflected in another symbol of capricorn which is the devil card so this was another connection i made this this week uh is that the devil card has a similarity to the four of pentacles because the, 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 the king in the Four of Pentacles is wearing sort of the like furry coat of the beast here. Right? Yeah, so, sure. so I thought that was really fascinating. Like if, and they're both sitting on this throne. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're both like chained to, to matter. And they're getting fixated on matter rather than in the, with the pentacle that is within the matter, the spirit within the matter. So I think that, you know, with the Precus story, these goats are leaving, they're, they're ambitious, but they're, they're leaving behind their, their spirit, their soul. You know, they're trying to build this temple to, to wherever through material means. And this is talked about a lot in the Tower of Babel story as well, where it's, you know, if you're trying to ascend to some kind of point of consciousness, yes, that you might have to balance out taking uh, material steps, which I don't... I think that that's another thing I've been tr- really trying to reconcile is not demonizing the material world, right? Mm-hmm. But also not getting you know overly attached to it. I-, I wanted to share with all of you that today my two cards of the day were were Temperance, both both cards. Like I pick a card of the day and a personal card, and I got Temperance twice, which is that achemical mixture of trying to figure out the right the right balance in our life. So. That precus story just really affects me with this this Capricorn full moon as far as like what are we really striving for? You know, that, I think that word is 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 a good one too. I hear that a lot in the I Ching, striving. And that's one of the things that I Ching is like, yeah, come into alignment with the Tao rather than striving, right? So I'll, I'll toss that back to you here, Sam. Yeah, I I love that. And just to just to put a little bit of heartstring on it from a sure. cancer perspective, um, the Precus story is also really just super much about that sensitivity because 
as he witnesses his children losing themselves to matter, um, he rewinds time, a very Saturnian concept, right. um, in order to reverse the process. And it's this, this grief mm-hmm. of the parent watching something that they know is inevitable, but they keep trying to literally unbalance nature in order to get a different outcome. And this plays so well into the retrogrades surrounding the sun during the full moon is we, at this point at least, there is a necessary rewind. There is a necessary going back because we haven't absorbed mentally, emotionally, all of the lessons that need to be kind of sunk in before the alignment happens. After this transit and we start to get everything kind of piling back up, Mars moves into exaltation in Capricorn, conjoins Venus, Mercury goes direct, everything piles up in Aquarius, Sun conjoins Jupiter, and we get this rush, the rush we were expecting, you know, but that we weren't ready for. And I think it is this idea of like, okay, hold the phone. We we clearly were overexcited. We clearly were ready to start something new, um, but we we were unaware of what needed to occur in order for that to truly take root. And this was actually my meditation on Capricorn the other day, because it's a it's a big Capricorn lesson month for me in my in my spiritual training. And so delving into that sign on many many different levels, um, the the idea of Capricorn representing hardness mm-hmm. and the necessary hardness of life that needs to be not worked through but bowed to. And what Capricorn does so beautifully is approach you at a time in your life when you do not have the answers mm. and puts a wall in front of you and says, try. <laughs> because it knows that you can't win. It knows that there's nowhere to go. It knows that you are at an inherent disadvantage, but you don't see that. And so Capricorn's job is to approach you and say, are you ready now? Now that you've fatigued yourself, now that you've worn yourself out, now that you've exhausted every option, are you ready to bow in order to ascend? And it's such a a pivotal kind of crux because what we're seeing is this half-bakedness in in the chart getting ready to resolve, Mm -hmm. but the conflict emotionally that we have to go through to be like, Oh, we're not, we're not done. Sure. You know, um, Midas realizing the gift that he thought was a gift is actually a curse. That Cancer Moon in the last decan of Cancer being like, I'm, I'm full of the wrong stuff. I need to purge. Yeah, you know, yeah. all of this, all of this not enoughness coming forward, and us realizing that, you know, between the Sea of Jupiter and the sky of Saturn and Aquarius, we sit restless and need another round of reevaluation before we can actually move in. Mm. That's beautiful, Sam. It's beautiful stuff there. Um, I'm just trying to take that in. I'm trying to reflect on on the profoundness of of your sharing there. Um, I think that, yeah, one, one of the things that's really standing out to me with what you're talking about is 
you know, the need for the Capricorn archetype to almost be your own parent, right? Where you're thrust mm -hmm. into positions where the nurturing that you expected isn't available, you know? Expectation, right. for sure. And, and I think the difference between Capricorn and Cancer is, is and I, I know this personally as living this archetype, is we're, we're kind of looking for a little bit of a, a mom figure sometimes. And, and, and funnily enough, sometimes we get it. Like, that's the other thing. Like, I know in, in my life, I've had really supportive women in my life in particular that have, you know, helped me through very tough times where I will share, you know, my daughter is a Capricorn with a third decan Capricorn son. And she had a, almost the opposite experience where, you know, the, the people that she needed at, a, at pivotal moments in her life, like, were like not available. And she had to rely on her own resources and her own ability to come to terms with that reality. And that's, that's powerful. I mean, that's, and it's very, that can harden you against the world sometimes. And I think that that's the, that's the really the biggest, the crux of the difference between, you know, being born in the winter when things are, things are tough. And, you know, this is a time where being conservative is important because, you know, the earth is not producing in the same way as when you and I were born in the, in the height of summer where the abundance is everywhere and it's, you, you tapping into this. So, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, this is a really fascinating moon, moon cycle, I think from from that perspective the other thing i will i will add with the cancer moon and just the cancer archetype in general is the the other thing that i like about um I, my, one of my favorite astrologers is liz green so i read a ton of liz green i really love sure. her storytelling and she talks about cancer as this ouroboric incest is the word that she used which is an intense word but she's talking about a, a, a desire or a yearning to return to the divine womb Okay, that that is one of the, the the main themes that she talks about with cancer is this this longing, this like mm, this like it's mm -hmm. and, and and when you're young, you may think about this as like a yearning for the past or nostalgia or something like that, which I definitely felt as a young person. But then that that realization like flipped a switch in my brain as well as oh okay, it doesn't matter <laughs> what it is that we're longing for. The crux of it is that. We want to return to oneness. We want to return to the, the ocean. Whereas, isn't it funny? Here, here's where it gets really interesting. The Capricorn wants to leave the sea. Right. <laughs> like, and the Cancer wants to go back to it. So, you know, to me, that is, I'm just laughing because they're like, okay, now it makes sense. All the pieces are fitting together. So uh, how do we reconcile that in our own, you know, lives of this, this you know, trying to climb out of this divine mm -hmm. oneness and really the need at this full moon to maybe take a step back and say, well, where is the, where are we getting the, the moisture? Where are we getting the, the spirit of this? Are we, have we just gotten so attached to our throne of matter that we're willing to do anything like to achieve it? That's, I think that's been the biggest thing that's been shocking to me over the course of the last month or so is that some of the bureaucratic structures in our country don't care what happens as long as the machine of industry keeps on rolling they don't care if people die they don't care if people get sick as long as the gdp keeps increasing they're gonna they're, they will literally put our children in danger to do that and that to me is like the most horrifying thing i think i've ever experienced in in my life 
Um, so I, it's, it's a, you know, it's a really difficult thing to, to be witnessing. Um, at the same time, I can also, you know, appreciate that everyone's situation is different. And there, there are definitely, you know, some folks out there that they don't have any choice, you know, and they have to go and try to make a living. Um, I'll get real like progressive for a second here, but like my, I was having this conversation with another friend. And I was like, I think the real answer is just maybe we need to start giving a universal basic income to people. So they're not forced to have to go in and, and make each other sick and like basically put their life on the line just to make basic ends meet. So, mm-hmm. and, and we can, we'll have, people will have different political stances on that. But I think that even if that's not the solution, just thinking about it in terms of how can we bring humanity back to this situation and like really helping on a, how do we find nurturing in this very Saturnian time, I guess is, is the, the basic part of it. And I think that that conversation is so is so perfect because cancer, of course, you know, wants to rush to the aid of absolutely everybody. And, you know, let's all return to the ocean. Let's all get back to the nest, you know, let's cuddle up in Kumbaya and, you know, make sure that we're emotionally safe, fed and loved. Um, And this is what I love about moons that are so close to the cusp because we also find the solution in the progression, right? The next sign. So the solution of the moon in Cancer, who has opposed the sun in Capricorn, realized the deep roots of the mangrove, cannot erode it, cannot push it down, can't do anything but feel sorry for themselves. What what is the next step? The next step is to enter Leo. The next step is to enter unconditional love for the situation. The next step is to burn bright. The next step is to um, is to shine, is to reflect the light of the sun, um, and to create that lunar solar balance and make that hearth fire even stronger. But from an active way, do something about it, right? Um, and likewise with Capricorn, Capricorn moves into Aquarius. The best way to, to harden Capricorn is to diamondize it in mm-hmm. Aquarius, to crystallize, to take that, take that hard earth, that raw coal and refine it into something sharper, uh, more fierce, more single pointed, uh, without the dense restrictions of the yeah. material world, but something that is so able to to pierce and fly and is light enough to kind of make uh, rapid change. So mm. this this dynamic of the moon, you know, it is both this it is both the problem but also the solution because it's right on that edge. We are so close to tasting that transformation, that transition. And I think that if we if we kind of look at who Cancer becomes in the in the procession of the zodiac and who Capricorn then becomes, and we start to lean into that dynamic of you know the the sometimes accused as being hypersensitive, um, definitely maternal, definitely hyperprotective energy the, of cancer, the shell gets shed and the heart gets exposed. And when the heart is exposed to oxygen, it, it bursts into flame. And we get that fixed fire of Leo, which is able to do things that cancer could not. Mm-hmm. And likewise with, with Capricorn and, and Aquarius, Aquarius also accused of being one of the most dispassionate signs of the Zodiac, so removed and unempathetic, but also able to accomplish the greatest of scientific innovation and heights through its weird, quirky, otherworldly attack 
attachment to the skies, you know, through through objectivity. When when you exactly. see how the when you see how the rules of the game, or see, when you see the, how the game is played, you can you can bend the rules yeah. a little bit, right? Capricorn is so focused on chopping down the tree, and Aquarius sees the whole forest, and it's just right. it's a different perspective. And so I think that the real solution is just to continue the dance of transformation, to continue the progress, but also recognizing that the reason why, you know, we're in this wheel of samsara, you know, mm. we're, we're in this constant cycle is because nothing is supposed to be perfect. And the dichotomy is real. The obstacle is the way and all that jazz. Well, yeah. Um, again, I'll just take a moment to digest all of that. Um, first of all, I wanted to say, I love that you use uh, Florida metaphors, <laughs> like, like, the, like, the, the man, like the mangrove, because I, I, I might, um, I've been to the Keys before. I've, I've spent a, a little bit of time in the Keys in the past. And, you know, I could see the mangrove forest that you're talking about. And I'm, I'm just waiting for the manatees, you know, to, to make an appearance in this. And um, it's beautiful, though. And I think that it really is rooted in, you know, a realization that we can draw upon the, the genus loci of our of our space, right? That we, if we're truly connected in, in this way, we can see the divine in in our physical space, you know. So I, I really I really appreciate the way that you're spinning th this yarn here. It's very uh, deft. Is that the word? Is that the, the proper word I could say? Well, and like I I always love that because. You know, so many of our popular astrologers are not from like the South. Yeah. And uh, so like I'm here, it's literally 75 degrees. You know, there is no snow whatsoever, nor will there be snow ever. <sighs> and I could I could go down to the beach and see a manatee right now. I just posted right. my picture of the moon in Taurus uh, sextiling Neptune um, and and Jupiter and Pisces as a big old manatee in the river uh, for my, my uh, <laughs> most recent uh, horoscopes. So but then the opposite of that is Saturn and Aquarius, the snow-topped mountain. You know, it's wow. it's totally like these natural references. And what I think astrology does really well is it's a pattern of of speaking and understanding the world that can be the most philosophical. It can be the most political. It can be the most family-oriented. It can be the most natural. There's there's a a vocab and a context for wherever you would like to take the astrology. And a sure. good astrologer's job is to really crack the code in a way that makes sense to the client so that you as a person can feel more attuned to these cycles, regardless of where you would like to relate these planetary shifts to. There's something in your life, something in your background, something in your, your genius loci, your, the spirit of your local space right. that, that is that um, kind of spiritual connection point. Yeah. And, and I, this is one thing I've been trying to teach on this channel too, is the concept of oracular space that you create with a client. You know, there, there's the chart, there's you, the astrologer, there, and there's the what is created between both of those or, or that triad, you know, it's something completely new and completely different. And I agree 100% that our job as diviners is to be able to find a way to communicate the insights in a way that the client can receive it, not in a way that like inflates our own ego. It's in a way that what do we really want to do? We want to connect, you know, like that's where the real connection comes in. Um, Okay, I'm going to take a look at the chat here. There's, this is fun, Sam. 
Yeah. Really excited to have you on I the figured, show. I figured we would we would have good chemistry. Um, it yeah. just seems like we were a little bit better than anticipated. No, it's good stuff. I, I, yeah. I really appreciate your insights. So I'm seeing uh, we've got poetry snaps here. I love that. Thank you, Raven. Um, Lisa is floored by this interpretation of Capricorn, exactly her perspective. Lisa also is a, a great a mind that has some really great insights in the chat every week. Um, let's see. We've got people, Susanna's pointing out there's so many great Cancer Sun astrologers mm -hmm. in our community. I, I, I agree. <laughs> I yeah. I'm partial, I'm biased, but, but yeah. yes, <laughs> there is something that we're I think that the, you know, the cancer being um, disposed of by the moon is a lot of our job is trying to connect with the masses and trying to interpret, um, you know, the, the light of the divine and, and deliver it to the people. I, that's why I feel as a lot of my role is to collect whatever insights are out there and deliver it in, in a way that is easily digestible. And I think that's part of the moon's energy as well as collecting that divine light and infusing it into a body to be eaten or to be consumed or to be i don't know mm -hmm. worn <laughs> like yeah. these like these spacesuits that we that we're that we're working with here um, so. i love that that physical analogy and and also i think as astrologers you know the baseline of any consultative practice is empathy and yes. cancer is just you know it's not that we have the monopoly on it but we certainly are one of the more well-equipped signs to navigate really emotional spaces without judgment and you know when you're one-on-one -on -one with a client uh, and you're talking about their life you know front and back side to side uh, it helps to be able to kind of instinctively know how, how to hold that space absolutely absolutely and i think this is a healing conversation because i i spent a little bit too much time on social media the other day on one of these like joke meme accounts yeah. <laughs> where, where they they posted something about a cancer cancer men <laughs> like and i knew it was a joke but i still was like ouch ouch that hurts <laughs> you know <laughs> like, so for all you cancer cancer people out there this is just the love fest for you today and um know that your opinion and your contribution is valued, even if uh, some people may uh, misinterpret or, uh, you know, not always appreciate our, our caring or our smother mothers. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. so, sure. so, all right. Okay, so I'm seeing some great comments here. Thank you everyone for your, your sharing in the, in the comments. Thank you. And Anise is saying Aquarius is very misunderstood sign as well. It's passion is mental and strong. The detachment comes from Saturn. I absolutely agree. Um, I, one thing I want to add to that Aquarius thought is I like to see Aquarius as sort of the the platonic forms that we're drawing upon the blueprint that maybe Saturn as or that Jupiter as demiurge wants to create from. So since we've got the Saturn on the outside of the planetary sphere model, you've got Jupiter drawing things down from that Saturnian. I really idealistic realm. This is one thing that I think people may mistake about Saturn too is it's very idealistic it was like he was um the 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 leader of the golden age in mythology you know like this like land of milk and honey where you know everything was good and um there is this kind of like looking forward and backwards quality to saturn maybe trying to bring that back into our experience or organize the systems of our life um we've got let's see yeah, we've got more Cancer Club people checking in. Uh, all right, cool. 
So, so thank you all for being here today. I really appreciate all the contributions in the chat. Um, if you would like to make a material donation to the show, there's a little dollar sign in the chat box that's called a super chat or a super sticker that helps us keep the lights on here. I appreciate all of the support that you all have provided in the past. Um, that's my little Cap Capricorn like ringing the bell for today, <laughs> which is not comfortable for us Cancerians. I will say 100%. It is not a comfortable thing, but um, everyone's got to eat. So let's move forward, Sam. And one, one last thing I want to say about this moon before we move on to another portion of this. Um, this decan of cancer, the main themes that Austin Kopic talks about in 36 Faces is luxury versus scarcity. And I wanted to bring uh, into the discussion the, the goddess Hecate. Are you familiar with Hecate? Oh, for sure. So, so I, I want to hear your thoughts on Hecate because you, man, you really have good thoughts on all sorts of different stuff. That that you have a Gemini Mercury, right? That's so you. You are giving me all the different. I love how you pull from all these different traditions. It's it's near and dear to the Venus and Gemini heart that I have. Um, so they're talking about Hecate as being a lunar goddess that both is nurturer and destroyer, the goddess right. of of the crossroads. And kind of this like feeling like, what are we doing with the abundance that we have once we've satisfied desire and then we get maybe bored with it or something like that. I think that we're thinking about the cycle of desire and satisfaction of having our desires satiated and then, you know, maybe figuring out, well, what is next? Tell me more about your, your experience with Hecate and maybe this theme of luxury versus scarcity. So it's, it's interesting to me because Hecate is a, obviously one of the grand archetypes of magic in general. And so many practitioners go to her first as the maternal figure of the dark arts and of the occult. You know, when we're seeking, when we're seeking navigation through the shadows, there is Hecate who is not just goddess of dark, she is the torch bearer. She right. is the keeper of the keys. She has her hounds that guide you through the deepest, darkest parts of the underworld. You know, she is as much a guide as she is a, an ominous presence. So she does balance that, that maiden mother crone aspect. She is, you know, she is Hecate thrice, you know, in, in, that, in that aspect. So what I love about this perspective of Hecate and the, the third decan of Cancer is the myth of uh, Persephone. Mm. And so Hecate and her role in that myth is actually very, um, very neurodivergent and very much kind of like guest starry, but so pivotal because right. every time Demeter goes to consult Hecate, um, Hecate basically just kind of babbles to herself in her kind of altered state. She's like, and the wheel turns mm -hmm. and the wheel turns. And she's basically saying like, don't worry about it. Everything changes, which is like the last thing that you want to tell a grieving mother, mm. you know, but it is this idea of you get so comfortable in your abundance. You get so comfortable in the lap of luxury and then you 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 want more like how could this possibly be better but the wheel has to turn you know and hecate is is 
the guardian of that of that deeper wisdom because without understanding the death and the ebb and the release of what we had we can't fully appreciate it in the moment we get complacent bingo bingo yes and and for those of you who aren't completely familiar with the the persephone demeter myth the the cliff notes are that you know demeter you know, was searching for her lost daughter, Persephone, who had been swallowed by Hades into the underworld. And correct me if I'm, you know, fudging any details on this, Sam. And then eventually Hecate was providing the torches to to go into the underworld to find uh, to find Persephone and had the keys to unlock, you know, various gateways here. Um, I, tell me more about the the, the mumbling of you know, speaking in tongues almost. So um, uh, I, I attended uh, Temple Fest in, in my tradition um, back before COVID happened, and we had the most lovely guest speaker um, who uh, was Wendy Rule, um, who is an Australian native, and she created an entire album, an entire musical album dedicated to the myth of Persephone. Nice. And um in her describing the myth and the tales from vantage points that like she had obviously been meditating on this for such a long time. She's like reading through the texts in Greek and reading through the actual kind of retelling of the myths from the sources that we have it. Um, it Hecate is so much an ambivalent character. She's just, she's, she's kind of coming in and out of focus throughout the whole thing, not necessarily attached to assisting Hades or Demeter in this kind of conflict. She's the neutral force that is basically just saying, and the wheel turns, everything will right itself, everything will wrong itself, don't worry about it. Um, I mean, and it, maybe that's a meditation on, you know, us not trying to force the issue here as a community as well, you know, with the, the Capricorn sun and the Venus retrograding through Capricorn as this wheel will continue to spin and and we need to maybe kind of come into alignment with the reality principle of what, what is required of us rather than what we wish it to be, right? This is what I love about Aquarius as well, because as a sign, Aquarius does something truly beautiful in that it, it collects all the data and then it makes that that strike that is so calculated, more precise than, than even some of our most calculating signs like Scorpio, mm -hmm. um, and is just able to say, this is the linchpin, this is when we pull it, this is the least amount of effort in the most precise place that we need to tip the scales of balance at the correct time right. for maximum results. And you can only do that when you're seeing it from a, a bigger perspective. And I think that that's what Hecate is doing in this myth is she knows, she has seen what was, what is, what will be. And she's just kind of rattling on with her keys, walking down her road of life, being like the web weaves, the wheel turns, everything will right itself. Don't worry about it. Perfect, wow. We could talk all day, Sam. We could. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I love this. I, and thank you all in the chat for the, the the donations. Thank you, Moon Me Astrology, for the super chat, and Lisa for the super chat, and Suzanne. I really appreciate all your support. Thank you for helping. You know what you're doing is you're buying you know me the the time to do some of this research and to 
and to continue to have, you know, create that oracular space. So thank you so much for those donations, folks. And make sure that you support Sam and the work that he does too by signing up for a reading with him. Um, you said that you have classes that you are that are coming later, right? Um, I've actually got some pre-recorded on my yeah. site, um, yeah. but yeah, it, I think I think what we as people in the astrology community kind of need to do is is just enjoy each other's work and yeah. let yeah. that be let that be uh, kind of the focus, regardless of what level. Like, it doesn't even necessarily need financial compensation. Again, like cancer skirting around the money issue. Um, well, I'm enjoying your work today, Sam. So. <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> so, all right. I think that that was a beautiful interpretation of Hecate. Um, the last thing I will say about that is that in, in some of my meditations around that Persephone myth, I was seeing the theme of the triple goddess as some authors were talking about that both Kore, Persephone, Persephone and Hecate were sort of similar reflections or not similar but they were reflections of demeter herself they right. were demeter in different forms like Corey was the the green corn mm -hmm. persephone is the, the ripe ear and then we have hecate as the harvested corn so really getting into that cyclical theme that we see repeated with the the waxing and waning of the moon each month as well so yeah. thank you william for the super chat uh for sure so sam um, uh, one of the other, if um, actually Carolyn Elliott in her book, uh, Existential Kink, talks about spiritual development on like the rawest and raunchiest terms. Mm -hmm. And she brings up the idea of, of Kore and Persephone being essentially the same and, and Hades, like right. in the divine dance, like they are all the same person. And so that contrast creates lack, but also, you know, in returning to yourself and claiming your power in the darkest depths of who you are, you know, you are all players on the stage simultaneously. Mm -hmm. And that, that kind of divine interconnection, like we love to see the separateness. We love to see the full moon, the, the cancer opposing Capricorn. Right. But at the end of the day, like we are, we are all each other's worst enemies, you know, mm -hmm. just from our own internal perspective like we are we are every actor on the stage and i think that theme actually repeats in at least greek mythology as well because zeus is not just zeus like zeus was also poseidon and right. hades <laughs> like they're, they're all exactly. zeus <laughs> like so so they're all just different versions of zeus on some level which i think is uh pretty cool and yeah. as you're pointing out with Corey and persephone and, and hecate there as well okay like uh, last to kind of cap that yeah. off the idea that you know these full moons are really great times to experience the discord mm -hmm. and experience the separateness and the otherness but then ultimately like especially when that new moon rolls around we need to remember that nothing stays separate forever nothing is ever gone for good like it's it's all it's all just dancing around and will eventually return well and this too shall pass right so the tension is going to eventually get released you know this tension between maybe aspiring out out of the ocean and then this this really this need this this intuitive need to return it's all part of the same dance isn't it so sure. okay let's move forward to the square mm. and touch on that briefly so yeah. this is january the 25th um 
I guess before that, I'm gonna I'm gonna back something up just real quick, and then we can we'll touch on this. So uh, just a few things that are gonna be happening between this square and the the or the between the full moon and the square, we've got the Kazemi of. Uh, hold on a second. No, what is on the 18th here? Sorry, I'm looking at my notes. The 18th is actually a pretty big day. Um, this this is where we see the nodes are going to be shifting into Taurus mm-hmm. uh, and Scorpio, respectively. North node into Taurus, South node into into Scorpio. Uranus is going to be stationing direct on this day, so you can see that you know, on the 19th, all of those things have happened. Um, and then we have a we're moving towards the Kazemi of Mercury on the 23rd. And then we'll have Mars moving into Capricorn, as you were pointing out earlier, on the 24th. So you can see this is what's playing out. We've got this nodal shift. We then have Mercury coming into the heart of the sun, giving us some kind of download and the information that we may not have at this full moon, but we may be receiving. Right. And, and then we, we get to move forward maybe and take action with that long-range view with an exalted Mars, because that Mars is like, all right, it's go yeah. time. Right? And this is that, like, this is the right action that we can only take after we have the information lit up by that Mercury Kazemi. And this yes. is something I see so much in astrology sessions is everybody wants to know, when can I act? I need to make these moves. And the stars will always say, like, you don't have the information yet. Like, yeah. the time needs to turn a little bit. You know, pieces need to move on the board before you even realize why this is a bad decision. (laughs) You know, this is something that I really love doing in client work too, Sam, is from my study of the I Ching, which is one of my favorite oracles, it's just so, um, it's honest with you. You can't escape your truth (laughs) with the I Ching. But what I love about the I Ching is that I feel like there's always something that you can do, even if it's doing nothing. Does that make sense? Even if it's preparing for the return of the, the the opportune moment to take action in the physical world. So there's always an opportunity to like feel a, somewhat of a sense of empowerment, even if you have to wait. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think that that's something that we really should emphasize more as spiritual practitioners or human beings is that, you know, just because the way is blocked or we don't have enough information doesn't mean we have to feel disempowered by that mm-hmm. yes we do have to surrender that's part of the the hode that jupiter is asking for right now that's another sephira which is the 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 divine center of of surrendering to you know going internal and and you know exploring our own inner labyrinths or our own our own dream um but you're you're always you can always do something, even if it's just sitting quietly and preparing yourself for the next, you know, spring, <laughs> you know, something like that. Maybe it's learning something. Maybe it's like saying, okay, I'm going to take a break today and I'm going to be in my stillness. That is a choice. That's an action. And, and that's something that was really hard for me to learn for a really long time. Um, it, but it, it's so much taking back the things that we generally project onto either another person onto society, onto fate. <laughs> like this is this is what I see in our in our industry a lot. People will say, why is this my fate? You know, and that they'll like blame fate. And 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 that's I really recommend people checking out the I Ching in depth because that that concept right there can really be liberating. That that's there's liberation in that in being able to understand that 
you're just part of this cycle and what will, what you need will come in time and you will be more in position to take advantage of whatever is happening, whatever you need to do by preparing yourself mentally and physically and whatever, sometimes by letting go of the, f- the f- old forms that you're holding onto that aren't vital anymore, right? This is something that we see a lot in sports. You know, before a race, you can't you can't hyper train. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're if you're causing micro injury, if you're uh, if you're in this hyper inflamed state, you're not going to perform as well. So this idea of concentrated active rest and the the choice of none doing as being a therapeutic intervention for enhancing the long term result is is totally one of those medicinal points. Totally. Totally. This, yeah, we could we could talk about that for an hour and a half or <laughs> longer because that concept to me is really important. Like the the need for rest, the need to be able to compost, that you know to Ooh. add to the soil, right? Good word. Yeah. Right. Because because if you continuously plant something and expect it to to um, give mm. abundance, mm. you're you're gonna eventually what you're eating has no has no nutrients right has no vitamins the soil has to go fallow <laughs> that's right. Mm-hmm. right so so that might be another thing that we're looking at with this winter season um thank you cookerzilla for the the super chat i really appreciate uh they're saying thanks for the cancer love well here we, <laughs> here we are thank you for for being here today and, and choosing to spend your time with us because uh, i know in this this world of so many different choices to spend your time and or to distract ourselves with things that you being present for for our talk here today is is a is a gift as well so thank you so much mm-hmm. um all right so should we talk just a little bit about this last quarter moon sure. here yep so we've got the moon at five degrees of aquarius squaring the moon at five degrees of scorpio which first thing i'm noticing with this sam is that we've got both the sun and the moon in places that, that they're not super comfortable um the sun in its exile and the moon in its fall. What what do you make of that in this uh, last quarter phase? I think it's also really interesting because both rulers are doing very well. Mm-hmm. And so Mars is exalted ruling a fallen moon. And yeah. then Saturn is really content and lording over the sun um, mm-hmm. who's, who's having a, a bad hair day. And <laughs> so together it's like, we may be egoically dissatisfied at that moment, Mm -hmm. but the momentum is already in play. Like, and this is, so this is something that I've been telling my clients a lot with 2020, 2021 versus 2022. So in 2020-ish and 2021, we were trying to make moves, but we couldn't because Saturn was just like, absolutely not. But now that everything is coming into its own, and now that everything is starting to streamline, the divine forces that are moving projects are actually able to to exert their influence. Mm -hmm. Now, in the short term, just like us trying to, to uproot the mangrove, we may not be ready to change. We may not see how things are working out down the road. We may be dissatisfied with the temporary discomfort of things shifting as they do and not being able to see the bigger picture. But Mars and Capricorn and Saturn and Aquarius remind us that everything's not only going to be all right, but there is a plan in place. Yeah. You know, that makes me think about uh, Saturn and Mars maybe being a little bit more about collective action as well, mm, right? I love that. You, you know, like seeing that there may be, like you were talking about, there's forces in, in play 
that you know we're we're trying we as personal points of consciousness are trying to you know maybe come into alignment with and it's it's a little uncomfortable it's a little like oh this is weird and new but um i think that's the growing pains that we see with any you know large term or large scale changes that 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 are maybe necessary we just have to start to kind of come into alignment with that and and human beings are creatures of habit so um i guess what i would add to that is if I'm thinking about the two decans of this quarter moon, mm. you've got the five of swords and the five of cups. And we have a conflict and a defeat with the sun. And we have, you know, this Lord of sorrow, this mourning, you know, this, uh, mm-hmm. this somebody who is, has, uh, mm, is dealing with the, the grieving process after maybe, maybe even potentially after this, this conflict. And both of these cards associate, I love that I can talk Safira with you, but this is Gavura. Yeah. So th- wow. this is about limitation, mm-hmm. right? This is about a container for these energies. Uh, and the container for Hesed is, it is on the other side of, of Hesed. And, and if we just had this unchecked limitlessness um, we wouldn't be able to appreciate it. <laughs> so there, maybe there's something in, you know, that's, that's bringing us a limitation or a container for these energies as well. Um, I always tell clients with this, this placement here, it's important to, to mourn your loss and to go through that grieving process to compost, you know, whatever old hunger or desire for forms that aren't vital anymore, but also to shift towards gratitude. And to see that if you change this perspective, you can see that there are still two cups that are standing and that, that those two cups will lead you across this bridge to the river, uh, across the river to the castle of fulfillment or whatnot. Um, so I think that both acknowledging what you've lost, but then also finding the, the spiritual strength to have gratitude for what is still in your life and the good things that are still in your life, right? That, that, I think that's going to be important moving forward as well. This is exactly what uh, Anais, I apologize if I butcher your name, um, said in the chat. She says, you know, tension is what creates life after all. And this is a perfect example of that, where, you know, moving into, into Gabura, into the, the raw frictionous power that comes from discomfort, right. you know, that, that's very much what we're seeing here. You know, the sun in one of its coldest places, the moon in one of its coldest places, but ruled by forces who are, who are actually doing really okay. So yeah. there is this kind of lower level conflict, but if we do kind of rise above it and not not just trying to take the spiritual cop out, because I know that a lot of people try to love and their love and light their way through this bullshit. And that's not that's <laughs> yeah. not what we're suggesting at all. Yeah. But yeah. the idea of during these points, it really does help to lean into that Aquarius perspective um, and to lean into that martial perspective as well. Like we create our own destiny. We are the masters of our own fate. We can rise above this and see the bigger picture. Um, if we so choose, if you feel the need to throw an egoic pity party and drown in your grief for a little bit and maybe fill those cups and spill them over. And that's perfectly fine, totally acceptable, but understands that, you know, the events that follow post this grief with the sun uh, conjoining Saturn to create this massive alignment and refinement, yeah. and eventually the moon sweeping around and conjoining Mars, giving us that combustive action potential. I think that, like, just literally 
the week after you're going to find your perspective completely changes and you're going to wonder why you you wasted all that energy on grief i love that i love it i think that um the, the other thing that i'll i'll add to this is that you know piggybacking off what you're saying is that this saturn during this period of time has gone under the beams of the sun mm-hmm. it's made its heliacal setting a few days earlier that's when a, a planet is within 15 degrees of the sun. There, there are different arguments as to what the degree is of that. But basically, when, when you see a planet like Saturn going under the beams, we may have a breakdown in our the structures that keep society linked together. The last heliacal setting of Saturn was January 6, 2021, if that date sounds familiar there was all chaos was breaking loose and then when the kazemi happens you know when that this was on january 20th of 2021 that's when a new inauguration was happening this might be am i thinking of my years incorrectly i don't know that example i always use all time is starting to blend together now as much as of an astrologer (laughs) i am (laughs) like i just it's time has gotten yeah it's gotten really strange lately but but i think my point is is that even if you feel a breakdown in some of the structures of your life, it's about to be renewed a few weeks later, and then you will see the new structures that will be in place when Saturn makes its heliacal rise, when it is separated by 15 degrees. So th- that, that maybe hopefully will give people um, an ability to work through maybe with some patience some of the, the necessary breakdowns and building back up that we might see with this as well. Um, Likewise, by that time, you know, Saturn will not only be out of that kind of period of of light and darkness, but also around that time, the sun will be conjoining Jupiter. um, And that will be a whole new ball of wax to unpack. Um, (laughs) So we're going from the extreme astringency of Saturn and those lessons to kind of the tidal waves and tsunamis of Jupiter. And that's going to be just polar opposite. I'm I'm very curious to see what happens at that March second new moon in uh, Pisces because like Jupiter is going to be really dignified and really close to that. So we'll so, see what that brings. To give you an example, so yeah. using my chart as an example, Jupiter is really big in my chart. It also rules my second house of finance. Um, and so that new moon and that moon Jupiter conjunction in my fifth house of creativity um, will actually, I'll be over in the UK at that time doing my biggest workshop in London. Wow. Um, so in and of itself, like I planned that trip and I was like, I just made an election without, <laughs> you know, without like looking at that. And that's, that's how, you know, astrology is so vital and why it's a excellent reflective divination tool is we can speculate all day long, but when you look at the transits in your life and how they manifest, it creates this profound realization that there is some fate to this whole dynamic and that it will get better and that there is a, there is a plan, a method behind the madness. Absolutely. 100%. I just want to shout out, uh, give a shout out to Jody for a generous super chat. Thank you so much, Jody. I always appreciate uh, seeing you here in these chats and, and working with you as well. Um, Susanna says the I Ching also always tells you what you need to hear. I I agree. It it is a both a very enlightening oracle and a brutal one at times. Uh, it is very honest. Uh, you can't beat around the bush with the I Ching. It's going to be like, oh yeah, you're 
you're screwing up. <laughs> like, take a time out. <laughs> like, um, but but again, sometimes it's what we need to hear, right? And there's so much wisdom within that. My favorite um, translation of the I Ching is by someone named Jack Balkin. It's called The Laws of Change. It's re really great. Um, I, I'm staring at it on my shelf right now. I'm not going to go get it, but uh, really highly recommend that that translation. Um, let me see. Anais? Anais says, stillness as action is a concept we need to internalize. I feel Jupiter and Neptune will help us with that in Pisces. I hope so. I hope that we can come into alignment with stillness. Um, Jody says, thank you, guys. I, I have to get back to work. Oh, well, she didn't say my, hear my thank you. Well, thank you, Jody, if you're listening later. I'll catch the rewatch. Great today. Nice to meet Sam. Um, and then... Aeneas is saying, Lisa, it's been tough. Yeah, we, we'll find more inner balance for summer, hopefully. I hope so. I I, I don't know. I, as, as much as I have a little bit of a window into the future with astrology, I find myself continuously actually still surprised by the manifestations of it. And I think that that sense of wonder is something that I hope that I will never lose doing this work because that wonder is a reflection, I think, of me trying to to remain humble in the face of the divine plan that I get a peek into it, but yeah. I'm not like the originator of it, and I, you know, like, or like I'm co-creating or however you want to look yeah. at it. But I think that there is some humility that comes in of saying, "Oh well, yeah, we have a pretty good idea, but you know, we can still be surprised by the actual manifestation." So. I do th hope, though, for everyone's sake, that we do get a little bit of relief by the summer. I, I've been t kicking around ideas that I think that we may have to see Saturn leave Aquarius before we really get the true relief. I but agree. I, do, yeah, okay, okay. So I'm not the only yeah. one thinking that. Okay. <laughs> I think for for me specifically, like the big transit that comes to mind is we have the Sun conjoining Jupiter in March, but then as we get towards end of May, we have Mars and Aries conjoined Jupiter and Aries, and that is not a slowdown period. No. Um, so I think that overall, and then Jupiter will be going retrograde, kind of revisiting all of that heat, um, all of that combustive uh, Aries fire. And um, yeah, I think I think it, we are still kind of in the thick of it. But again, I, I look back and I'm like, I, I don't know how how like I'm still trying to unpack everything that the Capricorn stelliums and that meat grinder period really yeah. kind of poured onto poured onto me. So for me, like again, when you're used to eating gruel for for two years, like you know, stale bread and some some warm warm soup sounds uh, sounds pretty divine. That's uh, true. And uh, yeah, so I think we're in a much better place overall astrologically, and we just need to learn to kind of lean into the strength that is now present in the stars. Whereas before we had so much kind of uh, stop signs just everywhere. Yeah, I think that, you know, just an example of this, and then I'll, I'll move forward, is I think that, yes, we're seeing the, the numbers, you know, with, you know, COVID and Omicron and things like that skyrocket. But I do think we have some protection from like getting vaccinated. And, you know, if, if people were vaccinated, they were not seeing them end up in the hospital as much. And, and that's a very different situation than we saw in early 2020, you know, and some of those things. And I know that there's differences of opinion about vaccines and things like that. But if, that could be one perspective of an example of how we do have some of these 
uh, divine protections maybe in place now that we didn't have earlier in this, this cycle. Okay, moving forward. So I'm going to just uh, show where we're getting to, to as far as this new moon here. Thanks all for, for hanging out with us today. We've got just, I'll just, we won't spend a lot of time on this, but before we get to that awesome new moon in Pisces, <laughs> we've got one more new moon in Aquarius. And I actually, um, I want to announce here that, that Gary Caton will be joining me uh, on the 27th of January to talk about this new moon in Aquarius in depth. But this is right before we have the the, the um, Saturn Kazemi. Um, we've got kind of six of of swords energy here where we're having communication between the the center and the periphery. Um, any any like really quick thoughts about that? new moon that we're heading towards with this cycle? Um, again, like the idea of the idea of not yet, um, because Mercury, Mercury is still just about to, to end that retrograde period. Mars will conjoin Venus. And what I'm looking forward to is that Mars Venus conjunction at the beginning of, at the beginning of February around the 15th mid month. Um, because what I think as they can join and as they basically hold hands and just usher each other through Aquarius, it's going to be this, this great partnership that's going to bring so much ease and action through ease. Um, sure. But as Mercury gets released and starts to speed up, I think we're still in that mental reflection period. You know, we're still halfway through that contemplation of what exactly are we doing? Why is it, why is it not working? You know, figuring out the nuts and bolts. Um, and also the idea of that, the Saturn still underneath the, the rays um, and, and being eclipsed by the sun. So this new moon is, is trying to find answers. It's trying to find emotional centeredness. It's trying to go within and search for those answers. But those answers are literally the process of looking for answers is eclipsing the Lord of the, the new moon. Um, so it's just, you know, take your time. Do not look too hard for answers that are not ready to emerge. Great advice for anything that we have with Saturn involved, right? It's, it's not a quick fix. You know, there's uh, Saturn gives its rewards after continual effort over the long haul, right? And so thankfully, just a few days later, a few days later, you don't even need to wait that long. We have the, the Saturn Sun Kazemi. So yeah, it, it's not going to be very long after that new moon. But I think that the the normal kind of refreshed perspective that we're looking for at that new moon still won't be fully cooked yet. Yeah, right here on February 4th, you can see that the that's the Kazemi or the conjunction of the sun and Saturn, which is, is renewing the vitality of Saturn, if we can call it vitality. It's, it's, it's kind of an oxymoron or paradox a little bit, but you know, it is renewing the spirit and energy that, that Saturn is gonna be working with. So hang in there at that new moon only a couple days later, you've got, you know, this, this infusion of solar energy into, into Saturn. 
Okay. Uh, Anise is saying, I'm watching through my window, an eagle flying. All right. Well, there you go. Zeus is, is with you today. <laughs> and uh, Hollis, uh, I said warm soup, not warm soup. <laughs> right. so. <laughs> warm soup. It feels like we've been eating warm soup on some level. Yeah, uh, definitely. Definitely. But maybe we need some warm soup so we can get to the, un the you know, the depths of things, right? <laughs> like, I bet actually worms are pretty nutritious. So Yeah, exactly. Again, like <laughs> eating something that is eating eating that gruel eating what is disgusting right. just in order to get baseline nutrients yeah all right so i'm gonna stop my share for a minute here mm -hmm. and we will finish off this wonderful conversation thanks thanks again sam you're, you are a joy to have here on the Thank show you. you are a fountain of knowledge and i am honored to be having this conversation with you today likewise so we have a couple more symbols for all of you out there in digital land. Um, I like to pull an animal uh, symbol for the show and an I Ching. And then Sam is going to tell me what you're pulling today for us. Uh, a geomantic figure. Okay. Well, do you want to do that first or do you want to go through the animal and the I Ching first? Uh, animal and I Ching. Okay. So the animal that we had today is the owl. And the owl, um, the owl is interesting because the owl is a nocturnal animal. Uh, it has some significations with wisdom and being able to see things that others can't. Uh, it is a very adaptable animal that will store, uh, it will store uh, things that it has caught that are in excess in its uh, cache or cache or um, how do you say that word? Cache. Cache. Okay. So, you know, it's very interesting to me. They're also silent flyers. So they, they hunt in a very silent way. So I think this speaks to whatever we're doing right now. We don't have to be bombastic about it. Uh, we can kind of observe from all different perspectives. They can also rotate their necks 270 degrees to be able to see from all these different perspectives. So I think that it's important to listen. They have exceptional hearing. Um, I think that it's important to pay attention to the omens in your life. They are associated with omens, but also sometimes of a symbolic death. So to be able to, uh, I don't know, let go of the things that are no longer serving you in your life. Um, what do you think? Are there other owl thoughts? Um, uh, owls are associated with the goddess Athena, goddess of wisdom. Um, you know, and also owls, although they are silent creatures, their shrieks are extremely piercing. So mm. it's that idea of when to keep silent. Right, right. I like that. Some of their main food sources are mice. So I think that we need to consume some of the details of our lives. One interesting fact is that uh, the great horned owl can actually uh, eat skunks because they have a they do not have a very well-developed sense of smell. Um, so, you know, maybe there's something that you can consume that if you avoid the, the stinkiness of it or avoid sort of the maybe, I don't know if what we would consider a skunk scent, maybe the more emotional okay. pungent leaking of emotions if we're able to be objective like saturn is asking us to do we may be able to consume something that is uh, nourishing to us and it may not be available if we were to get too fixated on you know the smell of it also um, um, the the mice that the owl kind of ingests it only digests what is most appropriate and then it uh, regurgitates all of the parts and all of the bits that are beyond its capability. And so it is that kind of choosy digestion, really making sure to only take on what is most necessary. 
but we may need to swallow all of it first. <laughs> like, and then, right? Maybe we we take it out. We take in the information. We we utilize what is you know nutritious, and then we reject what doesn't work for us. And that can be something too. Like if you're able to see something from all the different perspectives, it doesn't mean you have to agree with every single perspective. But as long as you've hold, held enough space for it, then you can take what will be useful for you and get rid of regurgitate like the the pellets of our lives um okay so that's the owl and uh let me see we've got some owl comments uh hollis is saying worm soup is nutritional too but not relaxing to humans may for owls uh yeah and raven says if i remember right william Lilly says night owls are of the moon okay yes it's a very lunar creature bringing in the lunar signification okay uh lisa's uh, talking about the digest the choosy digestion bringing in virgo signification so maybe that's part of the the mercury kazemi that we're experiencing too see we can we can weave we can weave spells here with all of this okay so the eching that we have here is uh number 37 which which translates to the family the household the clan close-knit groups i highlighted playing your part establishing expectations serving as an example creating mutuality and trust and two changing lines. The first changing line says, not chasing after whim or desire, remain in the center, prepare the food, perseverance brings good fortune. Any initial thoughts on that first changing line there, Sam, Any anything that comes to mind? Um, uh, I, I just adore it because we're, we're getting into so much mercury territory right now, you know, yeah. And with with birds of flight, with you know being picky, being choosy, the food aspect of Virgo coming through again. Um, my geomantic figure also a mercurial figure. So I think that overall, like it's this idea of being discerning, of being you know mentally open, but also shrewd uh, in your perception. I think maybe the 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 family situation and the things that are a little bit kind of uh, ground level uh, relate to that Sun-Pluto conjunction. Um, and that being kind of the, the underworld vibe or the things that are most family oriented, very much fourth house kind yeah. of things uh, in the chart for sure. Okay, so we've got line number two that talks about not necessarily changing, cha- chasing after whim or desire, which I think actually also fits in with this card, right? Or we've gotten our, our desires satiated in some level, maybe. And are, are we satisfied with enough? Um, I wrote, let me, I got a couple notes here. I wrote, cultivating virtues of modesty and moderation, attend to the immediate responsibilities and duties that you have, which I think is reflects the Cancer Capricorn equilibrium we're trying to strike. Subordinate ambitions for the good of the group, um, which I think, f- ties in with the new moon in Capricorn too, where if we got a little bit overly ambitious with maybe some hubris trying to build our castle to the divine through through overly material means, we may need to maybe release some expectations about timing perhaps. Um, nourishing others with your abundance, I said share exclamation point, which I think is always a good, that's always a good lesson, right? Learning to share and not to, to hoard like like King Midas potentially. And then practicing unselfish devotion to meet the needs of your community. So we move to line number five, which says the king approaches his family. Do not worry. Good fortune. And this speaks to establishing trust between the leadership and the members of the group. Um, 
you know, practicing kindness and magnanimity, maintaining dignity and integrity in positions of authority, which I think is important, especially with the Sun-Pluto conjunction that you were, you were highlighting. Um, I, I wrote down a great leader serves his followers, right? Uh, use love, not fear to, to lead. I think that's important. Um, I saw one, one other thing I wanted to mention before we talk about uh, your ge geomantic, geomantic divination. And, and I, I was really affected by this art installation. And I shared this on my Instagram. And yes, I, I love that one. I had to bring it up because I, I want to hear, hear your thoughts on this because it was so powerful. It's an art installation called Can't Help Myself by Sun Yuan and Peng Yu. And it is a robot that is programmed both to dance it, and it has a, a sweeper attached to a large metal arm. And it's programmed to both dance, but also to leak hydraulic fluid that was made to look like blood. And it, it, it has to stop its dancing to sweep the hydraulic fluid back into its body so that it continued to function. And eventually it's kind of slowed down over the years and, and you know, it dances less because it has to sweep more fluid back into itself. And holy cow, I just was like, I was stunned by this. It was the first time I saw this. And I, I just was stunned with all the different things that we could glean from that installation. And, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, Sam. It's, I mean, obviously, like, as a, as a cancer person, like, there's no better analogy for our sign than, than that. Yeah. Always trying to serve and trying to self-care and also trying to make sure that our emotional leakage does not contaminate the world around us because cancers are so prone to, to putting the mother and smother, but also to sacrifice our own self-care for the care of others and to be overly considerate to the point where we degrade ourselves. And looking at that installation so many times over the years, every time it comes up, I just, I always get the feels for it mm. um, because it's such a relatable piece. Um, but what what is also so interesting about that piece to me is that, um, you know, ultimately it's, it's a machine. Yeah, it has yeah. been programmed to do that. And what we as humans have the luxury of doing is changing our programming. Mm -hmm. And so although somebody who might look at this exhibit would think, oh, how sad this, this creature will never change, we have that luxury. Mm -hmm. We can take empowerment in that um, if we're able to recognize the dance that we're doing. Yeah, man, I love it. And, and, and you know, there's so many layers to that art installation there's so many different angles you could explore it from you know you could think about it as a, a meditation on capitalism you you utilitarianism as as you know losing our utility as we get older and being cast aside you know by society is something to think about you could also think about too this is my biggest takeaway is realizing that time continues to march on mm -hmm. and as much as we may try to contain entropy you know, that, that we all are going to die someday. That's, that is reality. But that doesn't mean we need to despair. It means that because we are aware of that death, it may be like you were saying that, that the robot might not even be aware of that death. We can choose to utilize that time that we have right. in the best way possible. 
right? And find out what is meaningful for us, right? What, it, what gives meaning to our life? If you're aware of your own mortality, how are you going to utilize that time? And I think that that really speaks very well to the uh, hexagram that 37 is changing to, which is called great accumulation, number 26, great amassing, strengthening up, preparing, gathering knowledge, sweeping in hydraulic fluid, cultivating your abilities, improving yourself, waiting for the right moment. So I think by doing some of these small actions and you know, practicing these daily rituals of gratitude, that adds up to big things too, you know, like, I think that that's, that's what I appreciate about your work is, you know, you, you, and you were, you know, reflecting that you appreciate about what I do. I think we both have this ability to show up and to keep showing up. And it's not through one grand action. It's through many small actions that we're, we're building something that hopefully will live beyond us, right? that will be something turn into a grand structure that will benefit, you know, our community. And, and I think that that's, that was so hard for me to realize as a young person, I always thought I had to do something so grandiose, but the, the real, the real crux of it is just showing up every day and doing what is necessary in that moment for that day. And that adds up to, to grace, I think. Mm. All right. So Sam, Tell me about your geomantic figure. And t teach yeah. me about this a little bit, because this is new to me. Yeah, so geomancy and astrology are actually really kind of interconnected. Um, I first heard it dropped by uh, Caitlin Kopic at uh, Norwalk, the last in-person Norwalk that we had. Um, and I was curious about it and um, started researching books on it. And it's the idea of casting lots, very similar to the I Ching, but calculating those lots in sets of four as even or odd. And then based on the dots of one or two in four rows, you create this, this figure, which is then expanded upon, applied to the houses, and you create a, a dual system of kind of astrological divination um, that is separate from electional astrology, which I really enjoy. Um, but it can also be used just to cast a lot over the most simple things. Uh, and so what I did when I, when I focused on kind of the, the full moon and what the, the core of the lesson was, the figure that I got was um, Albus, which is uh, the geomantic figure uh, named after the Latin word for white. Um, it is a symbol kind of like Albus Dumbledore in Harry Potter, uh, kind of that teacher figure, um, often associated with Mercury and Gemini, who is a little bit of a trickster. So a lot of the flight themes, a lot of the air themes, a lot of the communication themes that we've been seeing, very much Albus, it is a uh, sign of beginnings. So you think you're at the end of the journey when really you're just starting. Um, and the idea of like, not to, it, Albus is a, a figure that is is ultimately positive but contemplative um it's not it's not hyper aggressive in its actions it's very satisfied and slightly curious you know but not necessarily um a figure that we would say dictates action but also like not just sitting back and doing nothing a a nice in between sounds very wintry you know yeah a little bit you know? mm -hmm. like we could we could think about it as the reflective qualities of, you know, slowing down during these colder months. Although, yeah. you know, not all of us live in Florida. <laughs> like, no, I th I think that uh, that's a beautiful um, 
That's a beautiful reflection. What are some books that you really like on this technique? Because I'm, I'm always curious about uh, books and sources and where sure. to start with that if someone would want to dive deeper into this technique. Um, so Basic Primer 101 is The Art and Practice of Geomancy by John Michael Greer, uh, mm-hmm. who uh, co-wrote uh, one of the first editions of the Pictrix. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. All right. So check that out. Check out Sam. I'm checking in the chat box here. Um, we have, I think we have some good comments about owls, about Virgo. Uh, Hollis is trying to understand cancers and Virgos. Um, is that because you're a Capricorn? I don't know. <laughs> I think that sometimes when you have um, energy that is potentially opposite to you, like a Cancer and Capricorn, it can it requires uh, flexibility and listening and things of that nature. Um, how are cancers and Virgos alike? Well, what do you think, Sam? How, what would you what would you say to that? I think what cancers and Virgos do really well is problem solving and firefighting. Um, they're excellent in a chaotic situation because they both know how to put the situation first. Mm-hmm. Um, Virgo tends to be overly anxious and will create its own problems if not able to solve one at every at every given moment. Um, so Virgo would be kind of considered a little bit more restless, mm-hmm. whereas at its worst, you know, cancer goes the emotional route and becomes more uh, smothering and doty and hyper attached when it does not receive love for its heroic action uh, during times of chaos and and uh, strife. So I think they're they're similar because they they both are trying to help. Sure, they are sure. both very different because when they burn out, they collapse in very different ways. Yeah, I think service service orientation is is important. I think both of those signs ultimately, like you said, want to be fixers, you know, <laughs> want to fix a situation. And, and I think Virgo does it maybe a little bit more tangibly. And the the support that a Cancerian, you know, placement might provide maybe more emotional support or, or more like nurturing in that nature. It doesn't mean that a Cancer can't be practical or a Virgo can't be emotional. It's just those are some of the archetypes. I hope that helps, Hollis. I think the other thing that both Cancer and Virgo like to do is teach. So I, I, I always enjoy getting these questions in here. And, and hopefully this channel is a, a learning channel as well, where people are getting more than just the 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 basic transits and, and the energy that we're experiencing, but hopefully going in depth enough that they can learn astrology or divination or whatever system that we're exploring as well. Well, Sam, I think we I think we did it. I think we got through it. We went a little bit over today, but this was such a good conversation. I didn't I, I didn't want it to end here. Um, thank you so much for for your wisdom, for your time. Um, tell us again where we can find you, and tell us one more time things that you have on the that are coming up for you where we can support you. Sure, uh, just sambellier.com. Um, I'm also on YouTube. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, just be a part of the conversation. You know, I've got online classes. I provide consults. Um, I specialize in medical astrology, but like, just like Spencer said, you know, just hang around, just, just absorb it, you know, just be a part of the community and, you know, what Spencer's doing, exposing you to all these different astrologers. It's so wonderful because astrology needs to be personal and you're not going to get along with everybody, but if you find somebody that really resonates with you, their speech patterns, the way that they think, the way that they explain about it, you know, it's just important to find some sort of uh, family in the work. 
I love that. I love I love bringing the family back into it because that's one of the things that I find the most joy in is just having these conversations and being able to share wisdom and and I do love exposing a new audience to these brilliant minds such as yourself and I think that I'm going to echo what you said and just say if we support one another rather than make it like this kind of like who's climbing the mountain fast enough that's a healthier that provides a healthier community for everyone. And ultimately, if our goal is to uh, help bring people closer to the Tao or the divine or to spirit or to their truth, um, then I think that we're better served doing it together than yeah. doing it as as little islands, you know, so. And I would argue that astrology that does the opposite of that is eventually going to tumble. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. So. Thank you, Sam. And everybody, please check out Sam's work. Support him on Facebook and, and YouTube and, and his website. Um, if you're interested in learning more about the Capricorn archetype, you can sign up for my webinar at spencermichaud.com. That's going to be this Saturday, January the 15th at 1 p.m. And uh, yeah, speaking of community, Stormy Grace is doing a pretty cool thing, you know, raising money to provide free astrology education and bring multiple teachers together. So if you want to contribute to that, uh, there is a link in the description of this video as well. Thank you so much, everyone, for being here today. Thank you, Sam. This was wonderful. Uh, hopefully, you'll join me again. Uh, this is great. And um, we'll see you all the next time. Take care, everyone. Peace.